Thank you very much, Pastor. Appreciate that. <clears throat> when you were talking about preparing yourself, it reminded me of the story of this young man. He was going to set the world on fire with his preaching, and he thought that he was so talented and gifted in his vocalization, he just couldn't wait to impress everyone. So he got behind the pulpit, and he was going to give his first sermon, and he thought that he was so special, but he ended up stumbling all over himself and you know, really making a mess of his message. And when it was all over, he was kind of slinking out of the pulpit as quietly and secretly as he could to try to get away from everybody. And one of the longtime elders came up to him and said, Young man, if you had walked into that pulpit with the humility you walked out of it, you would have walked out of it in more the way you walked into it. And I never forgot that. So I said, you know, prepare yourself, humility, before you get up there to preach. Well, thank you again for coming. For those of you who have joined us new, we appreciate you being part of this class. We talked about preaching our last session. And let me just share with you something uh, from Ellen White. And I may have it in a slide, but <clears throat> this, is, this really grabbed me. No minister, and she says minister, but I think this would go for, for any of us who preach from the pulpit. No minister is sufficiently equipped for his work who does not know how to meet the people at their homes and come, come cl into close relation to their needs. Okay, now the, the quote goes on quite a bit from there. But just that first part, who does not know how to meet the people. She says, preaching is the, uh, what's the word she uses? Pleasing part or the easy part. Uh, oh, here it is. A minister may enjoy sermonizing, for it is the pleasant part of the work. Have you ever thought of that? The more you do evangelism, the more and people see you up front and they see you preaching, the more you realize that's the smaller part. Now, when you're preaching, you should preach as if it was everything. And, you, and when you're preaching, you feel as if it's everything, but it's not everything. She says, but no minister, now remember this, no minister should be measured by his ability as a speaker. Isn't that, though, how we often measure people? Wow, what a great speaker. Must be a great pastor. <laughs> She says, don't measure them just by that. The harder part comes after he leaves the pulpit and watering the seed sown. The interest awakened should be followed up by personal labor. Right? Visiting, holding Bible studies, teaching how to search the scriptures, praying with families and interested ones, seeking to deepen the impression made upon the hearts and consciences. That's pretty right to the point, isn't it? And then one more. Evangelism, page 429. A few words spoken in private will often do more than the whole sermon has done. That's right. Wow. So visitation, as we have it up here on the screen, uh, will often do more than anything else to hold your audience. Okay? Uh, you can preach well, but most of the decisions are not made there right. in the auditorium. They're made in the homes. Again, we just read that one. Let's go on. You know this one. I think probably you've got it memorized. Your success will not depend so much upon your knowledge and accomplishments as upon your ability to find your way to the what? The heart. the heart. That's right. Unless you do that, you cannot win people who don't like you. Right? So you get up in front and you start you know, acting in a way or talking in a way, and they're going to measure you up and say, do I want to be here? Right? Do, I, do, I, do I feel comfortable with this person? And it's very important in visitation to develop the relationship so that they want to stick around. Why do we visit? Number one, 
I'm, uh, by the way, I've got about twice the amount of material as I got time to present it here. <laughs> so we're going to do the best we can, okay? It establishes personal relationships with the people. It gives you a love for them. Don't get into soul winning work if you don't love people. If you don't love people, pray for a love for people. Amen? Pray, God, put that love in my heart because you, and you need that to be effective. Number two, the visit helps the evangelist determine the level of understanding the individual has for the message, and it can help set conviction and desire to follow the truth. Okay, that's a big one there. Number three, through visitation, the needs of the people, their obstacles and questions are discovered and dealt with. You want to know, what are they going through? What problems are they having in their life? And help them to overcome those. Clear and set principle. You've heard of this. The mind cannot be free to continue to accept further truth while it's still struggling with previous questions about doctrine that have gone unanswered and resolved or unresolved. So in other words, to try to paraphrase this, when I am preaching and I'm going through night after night, I want my audience to mature with the presentations. I, when I'm on the mark of the beast, three quarters way through, I don't want him thinking about the second coming and saying, well, you know, is that valid? I still believe in the rapture. And he hasn't solved my, or answered my questions on the rapture yet or the state of the dead or whatever it is. If their mind is still caught up in earlier presentations and with questions, they're not going to be following you way down there because they still haven't learned to trust you that you're really bringing across truth yet. So you visit so you can resolve these unanswered issues of previous messages then they can you can come down to decision card night when you know the issues it can greatly aid you in your nightly preaching so you can preach to a specific need in the audience and you don't needlessly offend uh, I want to know do I have a lot of Catholics I have a Catholic background I grew up Catholic I want to know who are my Catholics out there who are my people that maybe be Lutheran and believe in sprinkling or something? I want to be able to go to those people and minister them ahead, ahead of time so that when I get up there, I have made a friend and I know that they're, they're going to get through it. Okay? It's not going to be easy necessarily, but they're going to get through it. Visitation reduces the friction that people feel when new doctrine is presented. If I've got a friend, if Jeffrey and I, you know, say, let's say Jeffrey's not a member, but I've made a friend and he knows that I love him as a friend, and I have his best good in mind, then when I get up and I preach something that's a little different, he may say, what is that all about? Right? But he's not going to get up and walk out on me necessarily. right? Because, hey, we've got a relationship built up here. And at least he'll give me the chance to talk to him afterward and, and resolve that. Number seven, most if not, many if not most people will not make their decision in the meeting, but will make their decision in the home. That's why we want to visit. Okay? All right, why, what are we wanting to do from the visit? First, we ask this. <clears throat> now, I'm going to get into very practical things in just a bit. Okay, we're going to get into the practicals, but let me just cover this. What does the person believe regarding what they've heard so far? We want to know. They've heard these presentations. They've heard these subjects. What do they think about that which has been presented? Now, there's a way to ask them that. We'll get into that. What are the areas that a person's struggling with? I want to know. Are they, are they really, if I preach clean and unclean foods and they're really struggling with it, then I want to know that. Or maybe they're struggling because their spouse is persecuting them at home, right? I want to know that so we can minister there. You want to, you know, like they say, scratch where it itches, right? When you've heard the, the, the uh, statement that Christ's methods alone will bring true success, right? Everyone know that? So, what were Christ's methods? Christ mingled among men as one who desired their good, had sympathy for them, ministered to their what? Needs, right? Won their confidence and then said, follow me. So, we minister to their needs. When people come to the seminar and they say, I have this need, 
you know what they're telling us? They're telling us how to win them. They're telling us how to win them. That's their need. Meet them where their need is. That will win their confidence. Now, their, their need might be food, right? It may not be doctrine. It may be something very, very practical. Now, when, when do we visit? I, when it comes to my evangelistic meeting, I don't visit the new guests till at least the end of the first week or the beginning of the second week. I want them to have a chance. It's a seminar. We're advertising it as a seminar. And I want them to relax and enjoy it and not feel pressured, uh, I mean, showing up on their doorstep, you know, the next day saying, what do you think? I want them to sit back and relax and just enjoy those first few presentations without thinking that they're in any way uh, needing to answer for something. But there is some visitation to do. What can you do? You can visit those who have been interested prior to the meetings, that the church, they've already been coming to church, that kind of thing. Invite them to the meeting. Uh, <clears throat> just have a short visit to do that. Offer them transportation if they don't have any. Talk up the program. Say, boy, this is going to be great. You're going to learn a lot. The speaker is such and such a background. In other words, you can do this kind of visitation before, or you can have the church do it prior to your coming there. Now, let's talk about some very practical things. If you go visit, visiting and you've just had a garlic milkshake, right? Have you, you know, shown up at a church Sabbath morning and uh, someone has just downed a garlic shake because they're suffering from a cold and you can smell it across the lobby, right? And they have no clue that the whole lobby reeks of garlic. You want to be sure that you have sweet, fresh breath. Now, we're talking about some basic things, but you know often people miss the basics. And it's hard to visit with someone who has horrid breath. And so you want to make sure that your breath is sweet, your grooming is right. People are going to judge you. Now remember, now that you, you know that old saying? Sayings become kind of cliche because there's a lot of truth in them. You never have a second chance to make a good first impression. Right. Right? So you want to make a good first impression by having proper uh, clothing for the occasion. That's point number two. Do you remember the book, for those of you who are a little bit older here, the book from the 1960s called Dress for Success? Meaning that how you dress affects how people look at you. Now you say, well, that's not right. They shouldn't judge us on that. Maybe that's so, but they still do. Right. You know that saying from the scriptures, uh, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Now we often quote that because we were emphasizing that God looks on the heart. But don't forget that man looks on the outward appearance. Yeah. And because man does look on the outward appearance, we should care about our outward appearance. Right. Isn't that true? In fact, how you dress and how you appear... Um, I had a Bible worker who had dreadlocks. Okay? You know what dreadlocks are? Oh, everyone knows what dreadlocks are. Dreadlocks, however that person may have thought of it, or however you think of it, it's commonly thought of as a subculture, and not always positively. And so he was working and working toward this meeting, and he was wondering, why is nobody answering the door? Why is nobody interested? No, not a one study. Nobody wants to come out to the meeting, and he's doing this for like three months. No results, right? And I said, you need to cut off your dreadlocks. It's sending a message that is not a positive one. He didn't want to do it. You see, I said, well, it's your choice. You know, I can't cut your hair for you. But you need to make a decision. Are you caring more about your dreadlocks than, than, than winning souls for Christ? Because how you dress, how you appear, makes a big difference. Smile. If we give smiles, people return smiles. You know the Bible verse, he that has friends must show himself friendly. Right? Be polite. Say thank you. Have good manners. Avoid the usage of slang. I have, uh, I have one good friend. If I said his name, you, most of you would all know him. Okay? 
He trained under me as a Bible worker. And uh, he tells the story, but I'm not, and so maybe he'll tell the story sometime. Uh, he's here at this GYC. But anyway, that's all I'm going to say. But, but he was training with me one time, and he was kind of fresh off the streets, you know. He wanted to be an evangelist, and so he was my Bible worker. And he was, we were driving around, he was, he didn't realize it. He was still using a lot of this street language. Ah, this and that and everything, and I'm not even going to say it. But it wasn't cursing, it wasn't swearing, but it was slang, street language, you know. And I turned to him and I said, if you want to be effective as an evangelist, you got to cut that out. You got to cut that out. Years went by. I saw him one time at an evangelism retreat. He was the keynote speaker. Powerful message. Just right on. Powerful message. And uh, he had really risen. Uh, he, was, he, was, he, was, he was a gifted, gifted evangelist. And uh, he came up to me afterward. We, we hugged each other. We hadn't seen each other in a long time. And he said, Brian, I said, what? He said, remember that time we were in that city? And we were driving together. And I was in the back seat. And you turned around and you said, don't use that language. If I want to be effective. I said, yeah. He says, from that moment onward, I never said that word again. I said, that's good. That's good. I'm glad you took it to heart. It makes a difference in the words we use. Amen? Okay. Make a friend before you lead them to the Lord with the message you bring. Next thing. Be sure to know the interest visitation record before going into the home. Most of us, if we're going to hold a meeting, you know that they have visitation programs. There's a number of good ones out there. If you want to know one, I'll recommend them to you. But you have a printout. You know already that person missed the night on baptism. He missed the one in the state of the dead. He's been coming these nights, but he needs to know those two things. Now, you know those things before you go in, so you know where to hit, right? You know how to clear them. You know what to cover. Know it going in. Don't take, don't take the visitation records with you. Don't take these notes with you. That's pretty basic. You wouldn't do that, would you? Don't go in and say, well, now I'm supposed to do this. Well, I'm telling you that because everything I'm telling you is someone's done it at some point. Okay. <laughs> so you don't go in and say, now, I've noticed you've missed night four and five. No, I think it's, are you keeping a record on me? <laughs> Nobody wants to have a record kept on him, right? You know the record, but you've left it in the car. And by the way, when you drive up to the house, don't be looking at the record in the driveway, right? You've looked at it before you drive up to the, to the, in the driveway. Because what are they going to do? They're going to be expecting you, and they're looking out through the, wind, through the windows, and they see you. When you get there, don't spend time in the car talking before you get out. When you get there, get out of the car and walk up there. And when you're walking up to the house, don't be talking back and forth about things that you don't want them to hear. Because a lot of them have intercoms, and they can hear you. And they can hear you really well outside, from inside the house. If you're going to say anything, talk positively about their gardening or what a beautiful rose bush or something like that. But don't be saying, well, now here's what you're going to say and here's what I'm going to say. And, you know. <laughs> Arrive on time. That makes a, a good impression when you're there, when you say you're going to be there. Visiting two by two, recommended by Jesus and the spirit of prophecy. It's common sense today for your own safety. Amen. Right. Not only your own safety, but in, in, attached to safety is for the fact that, you know, you never know what you might be accused of. Yes, and you can be accused of something that you had nothing to do with. And if you have someone there, it can protect you and back you up in what, what went on there. So it, you, it's for your own safety and good to go two by two. Especially, uh, well, for both men and women, there's reasons. Number six, generally, oh, by the way, 
In my last class, we, I didn't ask this, but if you want to stop me at any point and ask a question and elaborate, please do so. Yeah, don't, don't hesitate. I, I want you to ask questions. Yes? On uh, which one? Fifth point. Fifth point. Okay. Um, okay, from a female's perspective, okay, because since you're, if you were visiting another lady, I, I would say, depending on it, that's fine, okay, but I wouldn't go see a man, and vice versa, okay. Uh, I just would say, I, you know, I've had ladies call me up and say, hey, I want to meet with you, I want to talk to you, and I say, well, I, I'll come, but I'm going to bring so-and-so, okay. I let them know, and, and until I can, I, I'm, I can't come. Uh, it's just, it's not worth it. It's not worth it for your own protection. It's not worth it. Now, if you're going to go see an elderly lady, and, and maybe even a, you know, a middle-aged, that's fine. I, I'd say one-on-one. -on -one. I still wouldn't recommend it, but it's, it's, I would say fine. If you know them and you know you're going to a safe area and it's a safe situation. But you have to use your own best judgment. If it's, if it's a strange part of town and you don't know it and you don't know the person, I'd say don't go. Okay. It's just getting, we're getting to a point where we have to be that careful. Okay, does, does that help at all? Uh, you, I know that it's not always ideal, but I'm saying that there's two by two for a reason is, is given, and, and they were just to the point where you have to use your own best judgment as to the situations to go into, and there's times when I just wouldn't recommend it. Um, I, I was thinking as she's talking in terms of Bible workers, mm -hmm. uh, because I've had Bible workers who worked for me, and they use that as an excuse then. They don't go out and visit anybody because oh, yeah. they have to go by themselves. Uh, but you can meet in a public place. Yes. Yes, thank you. For, for, you can meet in a public place. As a Bible worker, you know, if you know the people and you know the home situation and you're, and you're not going in blindly, because often when you go door knocking, you're going two by two. Then you've set up the appointment, you know the situation you're getting into. I think that's a different situation. Okay. Uh, did I mention six? Yeah. No, you didn't do that. Well, I did, I did earlier. Generally, don't visit earlier than the, than the last of the first week or the beginning of the second week. The reason is because you don't want them to feel in any way pressured because you don't want to lose them. You want to build up the trust. Yes, sir. Uh, just for everybody also to know that you can take your wife with you. Uh, yes. If you're going to, like I gave Bible studies to a lady. I'm not going to go by myself, obviously, but I took my wife. Yeah, excellent and idea. Good friends, sure. That was one way that, that they can do things that I can't do in that you know, way to connect. Yes, thank you. It's a great option for married people. I hope you, I hope you heard that. He's for, yeah, an option for those who are married, you can take your spouse with you. Okay, I've, I've gone through number seven. Number eight, even if you can't catch them home, uh, I'm visiting more and more at the, at the meeting hall these days or at the church because a lot of people, as time has gone on, things have, our culture has changed and people are becoming less and less inclined, depending on which part of the country you're from, to have you into their home. So I'm doing a lot more visitation at the hall where we're holding the meetings or at the church. But anyway, if you do go to the home, if you can't catch them there, uh, <clears throat> you're learning where they are, where they live, and there's something valuable there. Uh, I always leave a little card at the door saying, missed you, so they know I made an effort. I made an effort to come out there. The visit wasn't totally wasted. They know I took the time to come out and see them. <clears throat> Generally, when people are really interested, they need a number of visits. One is, one is good, more is better. Okay, I'm going through. Here is something key. Someone did share this with me a long time ago, and of all the things that I've learned from others, this is one of the most valuable things. Preach like a lion, visit like a lamb. Preach with authority, we learned that last session. Visit with a lot of humility, love, sincerity. And when you do that, the, the contrast is striking. 
And they say, no, because if I was to be, you know, kind of a authoritative, boisterous person, you know, it almost is intimidating. And they'll say, oh, I don't want that person, you know, coming around me because you know, he's going to pressure me. He's going to do this or that. But, but when you come down and you, you shake someone and say, Jeff, it, it is so good to see you here. Thank you for coming. You lower your voice. You know, it's soft and sincere, you know, genuine. They're going to say, hmm, so I, I'm okay with this person. I don't feel intimidated around this person. And then when you go from that up to the pulpit and preach with the authority, it, it, it's okay. They've, it's almost like you, you've, they've given you permission to do that by making the friend earlier. Okay. Preach like a lion, visit like a lion. We'll, we'll bring that up again. Your introductory statements are very important when you're at the door. You knock and, you, and let's say they're not necessarily expecting you. You can say, I can only stay for a few minutes. Why do you say that? I can only stay for, no, this is the first visit now. The first visit into the meeting. Why do you say, I can only stay for a few minutes? They don't want to let you in anyway. The doors. Well, they may not want to let you in anyway. Okay. Okay. You got other places to be in. No, what, 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 what is, yeah, and that's true. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that, brother. He says, you got other places to go anyway. Yeah, I wasn't going to mention that, but yes, that is true. But what, what's going on in their mind when you say to them, I can only stay but a few minutes? Spending hours there talking to them. Yeah, they're going to think, because they're going to relax. Because otherwise, they're going to say, oh, boy, he's not going to take up my whole afternoon. Right? Was that what you are going to say? He, he's not going to take up my whole afternoon. Now, you must stick to it. Right? You must be honest with them, even if they invite you to stay longer. For the first visit, say, no, no, I can only stay a little time. But you can't accomplish a lot. But it's going to put them at ease. Because even if they invite you to stay longer, and you do, if you stay for two hours, they're going to think in their mind, oh, every visit is going to be two hours, and I can't afford that, so they'll cut you off. Acquire an adaptation in meeting people where they are. If they're on the porch, I'm going to meet them on the porch. If they're in the backyard, I'm going to meet them in the backyard. If he's out on the, in the back 40 on the tractor... I'm going to talk to him on the tractor. You know, I'm, going to, I'm not going to dress like this. If I know I'm going to see a farmer, and I've got to walk probably you know, through the cow pasture or whatever, I'm going to dress down. Right? I'm going to dress down. Most of the time, I won't wear a tie. Uh, I won't wear a tie. I'll, uh, I'll dress professionally, but I'll drop the tie. Okay, any questions on, on that? Uh, because a tie is sometimes a little... Uh, preaching, I wear the tie. But visitation, I'll, I'll wear the slacks and sometimes a coat, depending on the weather, but I'll, I'll probably drop the tie, just so it's not too formal for them. But if I'm going out on the farm, I'll probably wear blue jeans and a jacket, you know, and something dressed down quite a bit. Because then that's where he's more comfortable. Sit where you can see both interests without turning your back. I don't want to be visiting and have one over here, and I'm talking to this one, and then I've got to turn like this. When I go into a room, the first thing I do without them noticing it is I'm, 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 looking, at, I'm looking around. Now, I, I don't make it obvious, but I'm saying, okay, there's the couch, there's the chair. Okay, okay, that's a good spot. And I act without them realizing it, I'm positioning it where I want it to be. I want to look, I want to sit. I want to sit at a comfortable distance, not too close. If I'm going to sit this close to Jeff, no way. That's especially guys, right? I mean, there's no way, man. Get out of my space. But, but if I'm way over here and you have to shout across the room, you're not communicating. There's just, so I want to be at just a comfortable distance, you know, where we can, we can oops, sorry, where we can be like this. Yeah, they're all connected. So, so, and so he doesn't feel, I can connect with him, we can talk together. Just about like this. And of course, with his, you know, if there's more than one, she'd be here. So I can just very naturally go from one to the other and, uh, and have that. But I have to position that. And, uh, and so you can do that. Remember to bring your 
<laughs> I, I might need that. <laughs> oh, I don't want you to trip on it. <laughs> oh, thank you. Appreciate that. I'll put it back here because I just might. Remember to bring your Bible on the visits. Why do you bring your Bible? Well, several reasons. It adds a solemnity, a sacredness when you walk in with your Bible. Doesn't it? Yes. Right? You're here for a reason. You're bringing the Word of God to them. You never know when you're going to need it. Probably in visitation, you're going to need it a lot. Uh, I'm going to come back. I may, I may bring this up, but when I have the Bible and we're, going to, we're talking, here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say, they're going to ask me questions. I'm going to say, you know, I'd rather the Bible answer that. I, I, let, let's let the Word of God answer that. And then I'll, if they have a Bible, which they usually do, let, open up to Philippians chapter 2, say, and they'll open it up, and I'll say, uh, do you feel comfortable reading? Would you like to read that? I want them to read it from their Bible. Now, I might read one to start off with, but then I'll say the next one, I'll say, you read this one. Okay, and they'll read it through. It's something more powerful when they're reading it out loud to themselves, okay? So, <clears throat> take the Bible, treat, now I didn't bring this up in my preaching class, but if you have the Word of God in your hand, treat it with respect. Even in your preaching, now this is visitation class, but even in your preaching, when you're preaching, you should lay it down, casually, you know, comfortably, and when you come by, pick it up respectfully, like this, and, and people will notice that, that you treat the Word of God with respect. And in the home, we should do the same thing. You know, rather than just fling it here, fling it there. You've seen some of these preachers on television where they're, they're shaking it so much, the pages are about falling out, right? You know, they're going like this, and I'm not going to do it because this, this is my study, personal buddy Bible, and I want to take care of it. But they're, they're shaking it in such a way that it's really, uh, it's really not a sacred way to handle the Word of God. Okay, let's keep going. You're going two by two. Very important. This is Bible 101, right? Bible working 101. If you're going to both go in, select ahead of time who's going to be the main person to do the talking, right? Because if you both go in thinking you're going to do the talking, you're going to be competing one with another, and guess what? Nothing's going to get accomplished. You know why nothing's going to get accomplished? Because you're going to go down a certain line of thinking, and just when you're about to, to hit right on that main point, you're going to get interrupted by him, and he's got a different line of thinking, or she's got a different line of thinking, and then the, the thoughts are distracted over to that person, and you'll never accomplish anything. Especially you get two evangelists together. Oh, wow, look out. Right? You've got to determine who is going to take the lead in the visit. And the other person goes quiet. When you get to the, to the uh, spiritual part of the conversation, when you go in and you start talking about, oh boy, what a lovely home you have, and a nice gun collection over there on the wall, and, <laughs> and uh, my, you know, I just love the way you've recovered that furniture, whatever. You know, both of you are talking, naturally. You're, you're, that, that, is, that is what you are to do. But then you sit down, and then you start talking about, you know, maybe their family, that's one thing, and then their occupation, that's another thing, both talking, both involved. But then you get to the spiritual part of the conversation and the partner goes quiet. Okay? Now you lead out and you take them through the visit okay? so that you can bring it to the proper conclusion. Now there's a time if the other partner is going to speak, it should be to give a quick testimony to the point you're making. Oh, I had that in my life too. Let me tell you how the Lord worked that out. To the point, give the testimony, and then back up and go quiet again. Okay? That's, that's the exception to it. Spend time getting to know them. 
Again, people tend to make decisions based on friends, family, and emotional ties. Isn't that true? They'll say, I, I know that the rapture is false, but I like the people in my church, so I'm going to keep going there. Yeah. Right? I know my pastor doesn't preach right on the state of the dead, but I, I love this is where my family is. So those are very, very strong things. How are you going to overcome that? Well, you've got to make a friend. You've got to let them know that they have other friends there at that church that you're wanting them to go to. But you can only do that if you get time to you spend time to know them. Agree on as many points as you honestly can. Why is that so important? Can anyone tell me? If they make, if they make a point that is true, they may make many points that are not true. Right? They may be talking about you know, space aliens from Mars or something, you know. And you don't necessarily agree with that. But all of a sudden they hit on something that is true. If you ignore it and you don't acknowledge it, then what's going to happen is they're going to think, this person doesn't like anything I have to say. This person doesn't agree with anything I believe. And I do believe some things. And I do have some things that are true. And they're going to get frustrated. And they're going to say, go. I don't want to talk to you anymore. But if you say, if they hit on something, then you say, that's right. That's right. You did learn that. The Bible does teach that. And then you know, they may say three more things that are not right. And then they do say something and say, you know what? That's true. You got that right. John does teach that in his gospel. And they're going to feel good about themselves. Say, oh, okay. I have learned some things through life. I have got some things right. Okay? And then by acknowledging where they've got it right, if you, if you do lead them to see where they're in error on something, they're more naturally to take it because you've, they, you've helped them to feel good about where they're accurate. And interrupt me anytime. Now, when you're in that visit... You, don't, you want to use these two magical words. Say these two words. Say them often. Don't, say, don't overdo it. But say, may I? May I make a suggestion? May I leave you a text? <clears throat> may I tell you a story? If you say, Jeff, I want to tell you something. It has a whole different feeling to it, doesn't it? <laughs> Jeff, may I share a story with you? Right? Just lower your voice sincerely. May I? It is, a, it is two magical words that just soften the, the conversation. And, and it's like music to their ears. And it will open up the doors to where many things can't. Uh, may I leave something with you before I go? May I leave this book with you? Now, the one time that's, that's different is when it comes to, to prayer at the end. Mm -hmm. I won't ask for permission to pray with them. I'll say, Jeff, I'd like to pray with you now as we close. Though that's the one time that I just go ahead and take the lead. I just say, I want to pray with you before we go. And I've never had anyone turn me down on that. But remember, remember, preach like a lion, visit like a lamb. This is part of visiting like a lamb. Use those two words often. Don't overdo it. Like, for example, one of my, one of my uh, points is use their name in conversation. You can overdo that. Use their name, but don't overuse their name, because then they'll come across phony. Speak the name of Jesus when you're talking to them. Do you know that angels come closer when we speak the name of Jesus? Amen. Isn't, that, isn't that nice? Angels listen, and when they hear the sweet name of Jesus, they draw closer to us. True. Learn how to deal with distractors and bring them back to the point. Now, that takes some practice. That takes some experience. Have you never met people where you try to make a point, and they're over there talking about their cousin Fred? Right? And then and what his dog's name is and how his car broke down. And you're thinking, what does that have to do with why I'm here? Well, it's because he knows the longer he talks about that, the less he has the more he can avoid talking about the point that he's uncomfortable with, right? Which is to make a decision. So learn how to say, you know, I'm uh, 
you know, let's say he's talking about his cousin Fred, and I'm saying, you know, I, that's wonderful. You've got a cousin. I've got cousins, too, that I'm close to. And then I say, and, and, and then I say now, I want to tell you something, though, Mary. You see, with a distractor, you can, be more, you can be more to the point. I've learned that. You can be more to the point. But I want to something, Mary. Fred's not here right now, but you are. Fred's going to have his time to come to seminar, but you come now. And, and, and the Lord wants you to make that decision now. You see, I bring it right back. And then she starts talking about, oh, but, but you know what? I can't because my dog's this. And well, by the way, do you, know about, do you know about my dog? And I say, say, you know what? I've got dogs too, and I know they take a lot of care. But Mary, right now, what's most important is not your dog, but you. you know? and, and so I, I know that it's, it, I take a little bit more risk, but I bring it back. And after, here's what happens. After about the third or fourth try, they give it up. They realize they're not going to distract you. <laughs> and they need to answer the question. They need to come down to the point. So learn how to do that because you only have so much time. You can't afford, and I can't afford, to spend an hour listening to about their cousin Fred's dog's experience, right? I mean, I'm just, I just can't. And so I'll do a little bit of it to let them know that I'm not going to be rude, but then I'm going to bring it back because most, your time's valuable. Amen. Always approach people as being honest. Give them the benefit of the doubt whenever you can. Let them know that you believe that they're sincere and that they do want to follow Jesus and do what's right. Let them know that you uh, will, will uh, believe that about them. Okay, now we've gone over number 23. I told you we have a lot to go here. Learn the value of silence. Have you, have you learned this in your Bible work? When you ask a question, and it's a pointed question, and they haven't necessarily answered it, let the silence hang. You don't, don't, don't become so uncomfortable with silence in the room that you interrupt it and then answer your own question. If you have brought them to the point of decision and you say, Mary, what would Jesus have you to do about that? Just wait. Let her think about it. Let her, let her think about it. And then finally, when she realizes that she needs to answer, she will answer. But don't get so uncomfortable with the silence that you have to break in and then spoil the moment, okay? Silence can be valuable when you use it correctly. Yes? I want to say that especially works in someone's home because in their home, they're responsible to keep the conversation going. Yes, thank you. So they have to say something at their house. Thank you. Good point. your office. You know, that's like right. my office, I keep <laughs> Did you all catch that? Did you, did you hear it in the back? In other words, in the home, it's especially, uh, what would be the word, uh, effective, because as the host, as Jeff said, they have the more responsibility to keep the conversation going. Okay, very good, thank you. Uh, the partner that you go into the home with should be prepared to handle the distractions. I mean, if, there's, if the kids are down there on the floor playing with toys as a distraction, you know what? I've got no problem. I've got no problem getting down the floor with toys playing with the kids. Because, right? I mean, I want the soul for Jesus. And, and if Jeff and I are going to the home together and he's leading out and I'm the silent partner, and if he's the pastor and he's got the relationship with them, I'd rather he be the one that leads out. Right? Because he's the insider, so to speak. I'll be down there saying, hey, let me play with that truck with you. you know? and, because, and, the, and the mother knows. She knows that that's okay. She's happy that, the, that, and then she can talk with the pastor or whoever's leading out. Don't be afraid. If the pot's boiling on the stove and needs stirring, you know, I say, hey, can you, you, it's okay if I do that. I'll get that for you. you know? I know how to stir a pot. Whatever needs to be done. Team, measures, a team members should not stare at the interest. Okay. 
Okay. Now, if okay, I can need one more chair here. Okay, so here we are, right? And uh, I've got my partner right here in the chair, and we're coming. We come in the house together, and, and Jeff's our our guest, and you know, and if we just sit there and we just look right at him, right? And, and he's talking, but I'm still staring here, and and uh, and I'm talking, but he's still staring here. It's like. It's very uncomfortable, right? So what you should do is whoever, guide your, your vision to whoever is talking. If my partner, I, I, I look at him, right? And then Jeffrey's right, and I turn back to him. And then my partner, I turn to him. You see, so that they know it's a three-way conversation we got here. It's not like a, an inquisition, right? It's not two on one. It's not, thank you. It's not two on one, he says. So don't make them uncomfortable by staring at them and, uh, in, in the visit. Ask questions like, what do you think? Questions you just can't get a yes or no. Because if you, have you talked to people and done visits and they just say, you know, everything is a one-word answer? It's difficult. Right? It's difficult. So ask questions where they need to open up a little bit. During the visits, wow. We, it's, 20 minutes. Oh, I, was, oh, oh, well, I, thought, I think we're going to 1130. That scared me. Okay. During the visits, I'd listen carefully to what they're saying. Don't be so caught up in what you want to tell them that you're not really listening to what they're telling you. Because right? what they're telling you is important information, isn't it? Right. And you can use that information. It's valuable where they're working and what they love and what they don't love and what they're going through. This is incredibly value inf valuable information. Don't get ahead of the meetings. Now, you've all learned this, right? If Whatever you've covered up to that point, answer those things. If they say, but I want to know about the mark of the beast, and that's a week from now, say, oh, I'm so glad you want to know about that. That's an interesting subject, isn't it? Have you wanted to know that a long time? Yes, I've always wanted to know that. You know what? I am so thrilled that you want to know that. We've got it coming up in a week, and we're going to give you a very great, you know, very wonderful study in a week's time. I know you're going to love it. Uh, can you just wait till we cover it then? And then I'll be happy to answer any questions you have because really, in our time here, I'd like to cover the things we have already talked about. Oh, okay. So usually, they will be happy if you just you know, put that out there and say, you know, because if, here's what's going to happen. If they say to you, I want to know about the Antichrist and the Mark of the Beast and those kind of things, and you answer it, if you haven't given the, the, the background to it, they might agree with you. But after you leave, they're going to call up their cousin, their pastor, their, their wife, their whatever, and they're going to say, guess what I just learned? And they're going to shout it out, and then they're going to get all of this, you know, heaped upon them about how this is wrong, and they don't have the ammunition to back it up, right? And they're going to say, well, I guess they were just giving me a line. And they won't come back. So they might agree with you at the time, but they need to get the full presentation if possible. Okay. <clears throat> Number 30, be sure to show the interest... And this is now empathy before you appeal. Mm -hmm. In other words, don't, if, if, they're, if they're working on the Sabbath and you want to help them to clear that away and you know, get a new job, if you just say, well, listen, don't worry about that. God will give you a new job. God will give you a better job. You know what's going to happen? They're going to say, these people don't understand. I've got bills. I've got kids that, that need this income. They don't know what I'm going through. We're hurting. Right? Show sympathy with their situation. Say, I, I know this must be really difficult. I understand. I've got, I understand how it can be to pay bills. It must really be hard what you're going through this decision right now, isn't it? Yes, it is. Show empathy and sympathy with their situation before 
you turn it around and say, but let me share, you some, share something with you. Have you heard of the FFF method? This is the, <clears throat> I understand how you might feel. First F, feel. I understand how you feel. Many others have felt that way too. Second F. But they have found that God has given them the strength to see it through. Three Fs. I understand how you feel. Many others have felt that way too. But they have found in time that God, they have gotten something better than what they gave up. So you can, you can paraphrase that any way you want, but just remember the order of that, FFF. Feel, felt, found. Number 31. When answering questions, say, I would like to let the Bible answer that one for us. I've already covered that. Okay. Number 32. When the pastor has built the strong relationship, let the pastor lead out and the evangelist have the support role. I think I've covered that too. Don't attempt to overprove the point. Now, this is, there's some things evangelists are known for just doing that, that frustrate the pastor and some things the pastor is known for doing that frustrate the evangelist. Here's one that frustrates the evangelist, is that when we go into the home, often the pastor who has not had the leading role, because he's not the one giving the presentation, so he hasn't had a chance to do all this speaking, and then all of a sudden the pastor wants to expound on his quite lengthy knowledge of Scripture, which he often has, right? And so they'll ask a question, and they'll say, you know, I, you're talking about the state of the dead, right? And he'll say, you know what, there's something that's really bothered me. And I'll say, what's that? He says, where did Cain get his wife? Okay, it's just throwing it out there, right? And, uh, and the pastor said, hang on, let me answer this one, right? And, uh, and, 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 and oh, I'm going to tell you where Cain got his wife. And, and 25 minutes later, we're still talking about where Cain got his wife, right? And I'm going, there goes the visit. Right? There goes the visit. So, so what you want to understand is that don't give a $5 answer to a nickel question. If it's, a, if it's just something curiosity he threw out there, say, hey, listen, let me tell you. Uh, Genesis 4, verse 26 says, uh, Adam had many sons and daughters. Cain married his sister. Oh, okay. On you go. Right? Answer the question. Probably took 15 seconds. On you go. So don't go, don't think that everything is a chance to give a Bible study. It's not. Uh, <laughs> weigh up the situation and give it the amount of time it deserves, but don't overprove it. <clears throat> as evidence, Gospel Workers Priest 376, it is not the best policy, notice the word not, to be so very explicit and say all upon a point that can be said, when a few arguments will cover the ground and be sufficient for all practical purposes to convince or silence opponents. So you don't have to say everything that needs to be said. Say what needs to be said, but don't go too much. Uh, what page? Uh, this one is uh, Evangelism, page 482, Gospel Workers 376. Okay. With many, she says, assertions will go farther than long arguments. Okay. Take up, they take many things for granted. Proof does not help the case in such minds. All right, let's keep moving on here. For number 44, if they talk favorably about their occupation, oh, I've loved this one, you may later use their occupation in an illustration or an analogy to help them make a decision. I love this. If they're, if they're doctors, well, I'll come up with a doctor analogy somewhere. If they're a police officer, well, easy. If they're a fireman, no problem. If they're a hairdresser, no problem. You know, the Lord will give you something. If they're a hairdresser, I'll be sitting there listening to their argument about the Sabbath and why it doesn't make any difference whether they worship on Saturday or Sunday, right? It doesn't make any difference. Why does it really make a difference whether we worship on Saturday or Sunday? I'll say, Mary, listen, you're a hairdresser, aren't you? Yes. If someone walks in there asking for a plain cut and you give them a perm, is that okay? 
Now you may say, well, that's so simplistic. You know what? It doesn't matter. They get the point. If it's their occupation, they get it. Right? Oh, no, that's not, you can't do that. Well, God asked for one thing, but if you give him another, is that okay? Okay, I got it. I got it. So, yeah, it just use their occupation in an analogy or an illustration, and right away, they say, I got it. It's, it's amazing how that is, because their, their occupation or their job is very close to them, isn't it? It's a very big part of their life. Always end by telling them you'd like to have prayer with them, okay? Learn the children's names. Okay, you got children, bring them over here. Who's this? This is Bob and, and, and little Nancy here and, uh, you know, some, what, another name. And you bring them all together, get to know their names, right? And then use their names. Do you know that we take prayer for granted sometimes because we're, we pray a lot and we pray in each other's homes. But many people have never had someone pray it for them in their home before. And so, and especially for their children. And so when you bring them together and you pray and you mention their children by name, that has a tremendous impact with people. Ask this question as you pray. Is there anything specific you would like me to pray about? What's going on in their life? Okay. Ten minutes to go. Okay. Call a person by name when visiting, praying with them. We've talked about that. Learn when the appropriate time is to leave the home. Oh, hear this one, folks. When a decision has been made and the prayer time is over, do not linger. That's right. Have you learned that? Right? That's Bible working one-on-one again, isn't it? And when I was in a real estate, well, I used to be a real estate agent. That's my background. And we learned in sales. When you make the sale, when you get the contract signed, get out of the house. Get out of the house. Because the longer you linger, the more they might say, oh, you know what, maybe I don't want to sell after all. Or the longer you say, well, you know what, maybe I don't like that price after all. Oh. Well, if, you, if you've had, if you've brought them to a decision and you've had prayer, that will impact them more if you leave. But if you hang around and you start then getting into casual conversation, all of a sudden it lessens the impact and pretty soon they'll say, you know what, maybe I, sh maybe I shouldn't make this decision. Maybe I should wait. Maybe it's not that important. So once you've got them to make the decision, uh, you know, they've been led to a decision, you've had prayer, now's the time to say, listen, thank, we're, we need to be going along. Thank you so much for having us in your home. May we return again sometime. That's my next point. Does that principle apply to evangelistic meetings as well? Which one now? The one you just shared. With, once you gain the decision, then you should end it quickly. Yes, I, I do. In evangelistic meetings, I, when, once I've gained the decision in the home, I, I leave. But in, I, in the public hall? Oh, in the public hall. No, no. I'm talking about in the home now. Thank you for clarifying. Uh, in the public hall, they've actually shown that the longer they can stay by afterward, the better. Because that, because often people will drive home with a misunderstanding and they'll argue all the way home. Well, when he said this, that's wrong. And it, I never said it at all. <laughs> yeah. And it was just something they heard me say, but I never actually said it. I've had that happen a number of times. And, you know, the devil just puts a word or a thought in their brain. And, uh, and if you can clarify that, something just little, but it's the little things that can add up. And if you can clarify that before they leave, then they won't get angry or upset or frustrated all the way home and stew on it the next day and call their pastor up or whatever. So studies have shown that the longer they stay by, this is why we love to have refreshments afterward on as many nights as possible, because they linger, they have something to drink, they talk, they debrief. You can go over and you can say, how did you enjoy the message tonight? Was that new to you or had you heard it before? And then you can clarify things. Okay, so... All right, I always ask if you can come back sometime. Once you go out to the car, 
put it in drive or reverse or whatever direction you need to go and get out. Right? Don't, don't stay in the car and talk over the visit. Because they're going to look through the blinds again. They're going to see you two sitting in the car. What are they going to think? They're going to think, why are they talking about me? Did I say something wrong? You know, why, what, what are they discussing? And they're going to get anxious about it because they see you talking in the car. If you need to talk, get out of the driveway, go down the block somewhere, pull over, and then you can debrief. But don't talk in the driveway. Of course, always be pleasant no matter what you do. <clears throat> don't distribute any literature except for the sermon and sermon materials. Uh, you can over kill sometimes with literature. Be careful how much you give them. Uh, it can all be summarized. It's coming close to the people, really. It's all about loving people, isn't it? Yeah. Right? Sincerely. People can tell if it's sincere or not. And, and if, if you have been given a gift to love people and, uh, and connect with them, you'll probably be a very effective soul winner. You can tell the effective evangelists. They're the ones at the door every night, shaking every hand, looking at people. Uh, those are the effective ones, both before and after, if possible. Staying late, often I'm the last one at the hall. Sometimes it's 11 o'clock at night. Everyone's gone and there's still a person that wants to talk and I'm there talking. It's okay because that's where the effectiveness is, right? Getting to know people in the end. Review and Herald, 1885, Evangelism, page 439. You must come close to those for whom you labor, that they may not only hear your voice, and sh but shake your hand, learn your principles, and realize your sympathy. See? That's the effective soul winner right there. Yes. Page 439 of Evangelism. If any of you want uh, you know, these uh, quotes and slides, and so I can give you the information. I can... Yeah, if I can. There's no printer here, but <laughs> email it to you. Yeah, there you go. All right. All right. And be careful when you go. Uh, you respect a person's privacy. There's sometimes you can, when you debrief about a meeting, there's certain things you can say, but be careful what you share. Not everything that gets shared to you in a home is something that's public information, right? Respect a person's privacy. <clears throat> Here's one. I learned this early on as a Bible worker. Don't accept money, personal gifts, or free dinners from guests who haven't made a decision. Right. You know what they're trying to do? They're trying to buy you off. I call it the kiss of death. <laughs> when, when they haven't made a decision, but you're a friend, right? You made a friend, but they say, they say hey, Brian, let me buy you dinner. Mm -mm. Hey, Brian, let me, let me give you this, this card with $50 in it. Mm-mm. They're, what they're going to do is they're going to say, you did something nice for me, now I've done something nice for you, we're even. Yeah, I don't owe you anything, and I don't need to make a decision because I did something nice back for you. Don't do it. I say, you want to, he said, you want to give, you come to church, and drop it in the offering. <laughs> I'd love to see you in church. That's what makes, I say, you want, you want to, he said, you want to pay me? I'll tell you what my real paycheck is. My paycheck is to see you follow the word of God. Right, that's my paycheck. So, uh, you know, I mean, if, you've, if someone has made a decision and they're baptized and they want to take you, there's a, there's a time for that. But, but, it, but you can tell it's a Bible worker and discerning, a discerning Bible worker, minister, pastor, other evangelist, other, you can tell, the Spirit will impress you, what's going on. And when you see that they haven't made decisions, but all of a sudden near the end they want to do something like this, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's just a situation where they're trying to ease their conscience. Yes. Uh, would you comment on, like, say somebody is to cook you, a Bible student is going to cook you dinner? A Bible student is going to cook you dinner. You mean, when you say a Bible student, what do you mean? A, a, a contact. contact. Oh, the contact. 
that's probably a little different. Uh, I'm not saying that there isn't some flexibility. Use your best judgment. Uh, if they're just, if they're trying to be kind and, and show you a genuine kindness and you realize that it's a situation that you might best accept, that's okay. That's all right. I, I'm not saying there's always a hard and fast rule here that doesn't have some exceptions. But, but yeah, in your best judgment, if you feel that this is a situation where you can go over there and you can have a study, yeah, certainly. What you're talking about here is people who haven't made a decision. When you know someone's in the valley of, of making a decision, you need to get the decision. You don't even want to eat dinner with them necessarily. You want to get the decision. All right. You know what I've found? Just share this with you. I found that I've gotten very little progress over a restaurant meal. I, I just, I, you know, when we're eating, I just, I can make a friend, but in terms of getting a decision or, or making headway with spiritual truth, I just really am not good at that over lasagna, you know? I mean, it, it just seems like the conversation is difficult to really get intimate with the spiritual points when you're, you know, in a meal like that. Yes. That's all right. I, I would say in all situations, be honest. Be honest in what you say. There's a time when you can say, I understand, if you have gone through a similar experience. If, they say, if they've lost a child in infancy, you know, and I say, I understand how you feel. Well, no, that's probably not appropriate for me to say that. You know, I haven't, under, I can't understand the grief that they are experiencing. You know, I can say something like, I have two children, and I can only begin to, to sense how you might feel, you know because I haven't gone through that. So I would, yes, thank you for clarifying that. You do want to be very careful when you use it so that you're honest when you say that. Uh, there's situations where if it's about how they want, they're working on the Sabbath and they'd have to give up their job, uh, you can, and you've gone through that, you can say, I understand how you feel. You know? okay, so I would say measured with your good judgment, you can use that. Okay. Many others have felt that way. You know what? I think it goes back to the old saying of it's not what you say, but how you say it. Uh, I found that with a lot of preaching. Sometimes people who preach have a lot of people give dis, you know, interruptions and they even get people angry. It's not so much what they said, but how they said it. And I have dealt with countless, hundreds of people smoking. And I've not had anyone upset at me by saying, you know, God has given the victory to many others and he can give it to you too. So I've not had anyone upset at me for saying that others have gotten the victory. I know God is not a fa God is not. Uh, a respecter of persons. If he's given them the victory, he loves you too, and he can give, he'll give the victory to you too. So I think it's how you bring it across. Okay? A few other things before we're, well, we're about done. Well, I mean, okay. they're only going to lunch. So let's, <laughs> okay. Well, okay, at this point, at this point, what I was going to do is go into 
uh, baptism decisions, and then some of the things that you can memorize to say in the home. But as I said, I've got twice the material that I have time to present it in. I hope what we've gone through has been uh, a blessing to you. Have you. Did you like these things that we covered, practical things? Okay. Well, we, our last one was on preaching. This one's on visitation. The next class and the first one in the afternoon is going to be on secrets of successful evangelists. What have I gleaned in 20 years that I can share with you in an hour? That uh, <laughs> Again, it's a lot, but believe me, there's some things that are really good information if you're planning on getting involved in evangelism. Thank you so, so much for coming out. I'm going to have a break here. Jeff, would you come up and dismiss us with prayer? This media was produced by Audioverse for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.